I'm going to start with verse 1. What I'm telling you all that for is because we're going to read, we're going to read all of chapter 15. Okay? I want you to follow along with me, and then I'm just going to make certain comments and application notes at the end of it because I believe in this we're learning something. So let me give you the background. It's back in the days. This is historical, okay? This is not a myth. This isn't legend. This isn't Hollywood, um, though it would be a great movie. This is, uh, this is truth back in the days when King Saul, okay? King Saul was a king who comes actually from the tribe of Benjamin, and that was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so King Saul, and it actually opens up and it tells when King Saul is going out and some, I think it was donkeys that got lost, wasn't it? And they had to go looking for these things. And somewhere in there, God says, I'm choosing this guy and I'm going to give him. Do you remember what God gave him first right off the bat? Gave him a new heart. Gave him a new heart. Do you know what that's what happens when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, that he gives you a new heart? It says the old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. So what God does before he calls you, what he'll do is he'll take that, that heart of stone, that heart of flesh, and he'll take that thing which is deceptively wicked, see, and he'll give you a new heart, a heart after him, a heart after his purposes, a heart to, to know him. See, a heart to have you pursue his mission and his vision for your life. The mission is, here's my big overarching thing. Ours is that there's a great commandment, love God, love one another. The second is the great commission, which is go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. So out of that, we say part of our mission as pastors is leading people to the greatness of God. That's what we exist for. How's that for a simple mission? Oh, yeah, right, whatever. It's a simple stated mission, leading people to the greatness of God. Not my greatness, not the greatness of the church, not the greatness of worship team, not the greatness of, see, it's the greatness of God. And then out of that flows what's called the great condition. As the body receives that, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, what will happen is as the body functions in that, we end up in great condition. We're going to be pleasing to God. We're going to be fulfilling and doing what he wants us to do. So what we've done is we've taken that which is mysterious, and I would want everybody who, who, who calls himself part of new life, who, who is part of us, I'd love for you to get those two pictures in your head, in your heart, so that if you could say, well, what, that, what is that church about? You could say, I can tell you it's about the great commandment that, that says to love God and love one another. And it's about the great commission that we go out with this purpose in mind that we'll, we'll accomplish. And, and that's to make disciples, to see come, people come to know Jesus, to have a new heart. And then, here it is, is that, that we end up in this great condition. Because at the end, in verse 16, it talks about the, the whole body being fitted together and built up. And so there, is, there, there it is, the great commandment, the great commission, and the great condition. Okay? That's something God spoke to my heart was a great condition. We have all the others, but, but he spoke that specifically to my heart that when you do those things, you'll end up in a great condition, which is what God wants us to be. And all of Ephesians talks about the unity of the body, okay? So then the next one talks about how Ephesians works out, which is he's called some as prophets, some as teachers, some as pastors, some as evangelists. Those are called leaders. So what do we have to do? We lead. And then because we lead, we share. We share what? We share the gospel. We share about Jesus. We share about the truth of God's word. So we'll share our lives with others. And as we share, we're expecting growth. God expects growth. He expects a return on his investment. Guess what he gave you? Everything. He's not holding out on us. He's given us everything for, for life. So 
an expectation out of this will be growth. You should expect growth in your own life, spiritual growth in your own life. You should not continue to say, I can't memorize the Bible. Stop saying that. Just start doing it. Whatever you memorize, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Okay, you got one. Psalm 46.10, what's that say? Be still and know that I am God. Hello, those are a couple real good ones. Revelation 12.11, you know what that says? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. I'm not quoting chapters for you. I'm just quoting little snippets. They're life verses. Stop giving excuses for you can't memorize. It's because you're not even, you've already cursed yourself before you start. So in that case, expect growth in your own life. And then when you're, when you're, when you're sowing seeds and when you're brought, you're casting your seed out there, you're expecting a return on that because that's what God says. One sows, one waters, and God causes the growth. So from growth, we come into the place of true leadership, which is serving. So we'll give up our lives, and it's sacrificial in nature, and that's what, that's what our faith is. That's how we get our faith. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so that's a natural extension is serving out of this growth that has happened because somebody shared their life with me, and they showed me how I should walk. They were leading. And then out of that will flow that uh, the serving will be that we'll build up. We'll be built up. We'll encourage one another. We're going to be strengthened. Ever play Red Rover? Red Rover, send... Grover right over. You know what that was? That was a linking of arms. I don't remember. I think it was wrists. You know, we did. We held the wrists so that it was a little stronger than the hand. And then we'd have that person charge over and try to penetrate the line, right? And, and if they didn't, trying to remember what happened. If they couldn't penetrate, they became part of your line, didn't they? And if they broke through, they took somebody with them. Something like that. We just made up our own rules. Anyway. So what the idea is, is that we want to we wanna collectively put ourselves together and be so linked together that there's no way the enemy can penetrate this line. You get it? That's what the difference is between being hooked up and being built and knit together. And the illustration is kind of of a brick wall. You can look on the bricks when you leave today on the sidewalk, and you'll see that the joints, they're, they're not lines like this. They're lines that are woven together so that they're offset and the seams are alternating. And the reason for that is because that that actually gives the wall strength. You can't just take a column out. And that's the way the church is supposed to be in Ephesians there says knitted together. Literally crossing over, not, not these distinct boundaries butting heads, but rather that there's this we call it synergy in, in work environments. It's, it's a matter of, of us coming together and the strength of, of the many is greater than the one, see? Unless you're Jesus, then that, his strength is all we got, right? It's all we need. Not doing too good. First Samuel 15, that's all introduction. Ready? Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. Over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Can you say, Thus says the Lord of the hosts? I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant. Ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Ouch. 
Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talium, 200,000 foot foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they come up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah into the, uh, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, be careful of the buts. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Let me just pause. Did you catch the problem already? The sermon title, by the way, it's in the bulletin. There's a page in there, and that gives you a couple things to interact with the sermon. One is it says, uh, it says that uh, the mission is, is a mission gone awry. A mission gone awry. You know what awry means? It's all messed up, whacked out. Didn't work. Here's a mission gone awry. So the first thing that happens is, is that when God said, he said to do what? To utterly destroy all of it. So do we see a, a problem right off the bat? We're, gonna, we're just going to give you that as a, that's called partial obedience. Okay? That means, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing 60. We're a 60-40 thing going on. You know, I do have flesh. Crucify that flesh. Verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as the is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel's turn to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to to him cheerfully. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Wow. Big story, isn't it? It's full of meat, isn't it? Full of stuff for us, lessons of what it can be like is that there's, there's all kinds of things here. So let me do this. I want to call your attention back to 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. I think it'll be up on the wall in the message version, which I read different versions for, for clarity. I like to see how it, how it speaks something a little different. But look at what it says there. Then Samuel said... Do you think all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals, just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production, not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Wow, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? We know that it's better, obedience is better than sacrifice. Many of us go around quoting that, but maybe we didn't understand the foundation for it, the background to it, why obedience is better than sacrifice. Because what has happened is if we have wisdom, this is something that helped, like Jess, Ryan, this can help you. You know how it is. You get to learn from the mistakes people who are around you and people who are older than you, and you get to not make those same mistakes. Wow, isn't that the truth? Isn't that true wisdom is when we end up that we don't let history repeat itself? It's the reason probably it's Mark. Is that right? What's your name? I'm sorry. What's your name? Thomas, Thomas. It's the reason, Thomas, for you that mom and dad tell you to not do things because they did them. And they can tell you from wisdom 
and from practical experience. And you're saying in something could come into your heart, kind of like we heard about this narrative today. It's called a rebellion. And that rebellion would say, you did it. Why can't I do it? See, you learned from it. You made it. You did okay. Why can't I? Because I know the pain that you can't understand right now from the place of innocence. But I'm telling you, Alexis, it will cause you great pain if you go there. See? So all I, you don't have to break your arm for me to tell you what that pain is going to be like. Now I understand for you to realize it, it might take you to break your arm, but I'm just trying to spare you of it. Because some people go around with woundedness from decisions and choices they made, and that's exactly what happened here. We don't get to choose. He chose his level of obedience, but he doesn't get to choose the consequence, does he? So let me go through a few things with us here. I'm not picking up on every verse because I could do a verse by verse for you, but that's a Bible study, and I'm wanting to do a preaching, okay? So the preaching, which is what I feel like God said, is this. Do you see in verse 16? Look back on there with me, if you would. Verse 16 said, find it on here. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And then Saul says, speak. See, what happens is, is that in in the midst of this, what we'll end up with is there's all these things that, that we'll have that God's going to, God knows no matter what you think you got away with. See? When you think it's okay, when you lay your head on the pillow, do what my, my, my daddy taught me when I was young, is, is when I lay there, there's only two people who know how my day went and what I did. I might have snuck around, I might have stole something, I might have lied, I might have cheated, I might have done all kinds of wicked things, but there, nobody knew I didn't get caught that day. And I might not get caught. Matter of fact, I can tell you there were some things I just never got caught. I've revealed them. When I got saved, I began to tell my woeful story. But that's trying to unleash the stuff that's, that's in me that I want to I get rid of it. I want God to forgive. And I know that's become part of my testimony. You have a testimony. So what happened is, is that he says, you, when you lay your head on that pillow, there's two people who know. I'm thinking, how'd you find out? You know, he told me it was me. You know. Being true to yourself means don't deceive yourself. Come on, you know what you did. You, you go about telling lies to everybody and putting up some f- fake front, and you begin to believe that yourself. Be real. We talked about character education the other day. It was one of the things about respect is you got to respect yourself. So the other one who knows is God. And you can run, but you can't hide. And that thing will haunt you because that's a good thing from God. It's called conviction. And he'll attach himself to that part of your flesh that is unrepentant and unresolved and out of control. Somebody say amen. So... Here's what happened is, this was good intentions. He ends up trying to convince Saul that he did what God told him to do, didn't he? I did it. I did it. And then when he was challenged, see what happened is you can actually go down through your life doing things, uh, we said last week, kind of lukewarm, getting by. It could be acceptable. It's all right. It didn't kill anybody. It didn't really hurt anybody. You know, it was, it was close. And yet what will happen is it can be 
I like what John Bevere said. You can be absolutely right and totally wrong. See? So it ended up, I already called that, it was partial obedience. Let me jump down to verse 24 and 25. You see all the other things going on, but 24 and 25, it says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Folks, what happens is, is that we did a little survey yesterday with all the ministries of New Life Fellowship and had people rank them, put the numbers of how value, what that means to them. And we wanted, there's 14 of them listed, more than that because there's sub sub things, but big titles, and we had people rate those. Do you know what we found? How many of you don't wear glasses? Raise your both hands. If you don't wear glasses, got good eyes, you don't need, hallelujah, I'm one of those. Thank you, Jesus, huh? But I'll tell you what, who's the most blind in the room? Who, if you were, didn't have your glasses or contacts, you couldn't see? Remember, Shelly was one. Yeah, you're Delaney the same way, you're the same way. And what we did is we said to me, you know what? Those glasses, which cost a couple hundred bucks, they're worthless to me. I don't need them. You, I won't give you a dollar for them, though they're worth two or three. Why? Don't fit any need I have. And what we can do is that as a pastor, I have charge over the whole flock. And that means all these different people. I can't do what only one bleeding or lowing oxen or sheep comes and, yeah, I want you to do this, pastor. Well, I'm sorry, I've got to take care of everybody, and not everybody likes that. We said, how many of us don't have children, and so nursery isn't very important to you? But nursery is very important for the church, and a pastor has to do that. Well, here what happened is Saul made a mistake that he began to listen to man, not listening to God. So the people said, we're not going to waste that, are we? You should have seen the kids on... On the other day when we were trying to teach them value and we took this dollar bill and we tore it in half. And then I had a $5 bill and I said, this has value more than the one, doesn't it? Yeah. No, don't tear it. Then I had a 20, which did Arlene, did she get my 20 already? Man, you women are slick. I just going to tell you. So anyway, I had a 20. So what happened is I went to... And the, I mean, they were so loud, it was like going down the hall, you know, emanating down the hallway. No! Wow, it's valuable. See, it has a value associated to it. So what happened is, we've got to listen to what the Lord said. No, don't, don't break that. I remember when I went to Bible school, I had this whole, what do they call it? A dry sink with almost, I could mix any drink you wanted. I used to be a social, I was a... a, I was a uh, a manager, and so I had we had people over, and we did parties, and we did social stuff, and I had this whole dry sink, and I'm getting ready. We're packing up to go to Bible school. <laughs> Hello. Now my mug collection, I confessed before, went with me to Bible school and sat above the chapel. But this, I was there, and my brother was an alcoholic. I know he liked the stuff, and I was I was dealing with this thing called conviction as a ba- as a, a well, I've been saved a couple years, but. I hadn't been, that area of my life hadn't been quite dealt with yet. And I had all that alcohol I was going to give it. And I thought I'll give it to, well, I know people who like Bailey's Irish cream and these mixers and grenadine. I've got all those things. And I'll just give that to these people. Boy, did God speak to me. And so guess what? Yeah, the, the grounds, they got it. Killed all the weeds in that little area. I never regretted it. I didn't have a minute. Of, oh, I spent that's thirty-seven dollars. 
No, it was like, wow, God, thank you that I didn't pervert somebody else's life. Now, that, that was my own conviction at the time, see? That's what God was speaking to me. Listen to, to God, not to people. People can give you ideas. They can give you influence. They can say things. But guess what? We have to, we have to be above the fray. We have, to, we, have to, we have to lead according to what God is leading us to. And when you're in New Life Fellowship, part of that is, is you're submitting to the leadership. And, and I know I'm a weird one to follow sometimes. But you have to say, I'm trusting God who appointed that guy. See? So, let's go on. That's, uh, so, that's good intentions. Verse 24 and 25 is what's called, I'm calling that, um, I'm calling that sugar-coated repentance. See, he said, yeah, I didn't, but it's because of the people. See, when you blame somebody else or you justify a portion of your own sin issue, what you didn't really do is you didn't really humble yourself at all. What you did is you tried to make it easy and justify yourself. See, you got to be careful of that kind of repentance because it says, well, you, if you knew well, how I was raised, if you knew my mom and dad, if you knew my family situation. I would say the same thing. If you were wrong and you did wrong before the Lord, you have to repent. No excuses. No blaming anybody else. Sugar-coated repentance. Verse 26 through 39, look at that. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king. The Lord has torn the kingdom from you today. That's called rejection. See, what happened is God first chooses us. He chooses us. He gives us a mission. He gives us a mandate. So what we get to do is, in response to that is realize what a great privilege it is to do what God's called us to do. He didn't reject you to begin with. What did Joel say? He doesn't, he doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us. If you find yourself separated from God, I'm going to tell you it's not his idea. It's going to be that he gave you the freedom that you continue to have freedom of choice and you chose to do something that leads you to be separated from him. Meanwhile, he's standing there just waiting for you. Matter of fact, he doesn't just stand there passively. He, he will assign the Holy Spirit to come and to, to dog you. The hound of heaven. Getting at you. Speaking to you. Some of you have a conviction today about some of these kinds of things. It might be partial obedience. It might be but the lukewarmness that might be resident in your life in some little area. Some big area. Rejection. Nobody wants rejection. We don't want to hear that. What is it? We said yesterday, leaders, every one of us, how many of you want to hear, um, well done, good and faithful servant? How many of you want to hear, uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of average. You did average. Um, it's hard to fit you into my mansion. Anybody want to hear that kind of stuff? Yeah, you did. Uh, you were a C guy. Anybody want to be a C guy? I don't want to be a C guy. That's average. I don't want to be average. Not when I've got a supernatural God on my side. You shouldn't aspire to anything less than, than his greatness. If you're created in his image, guess what? He's designed you to house his greatness. Can you say that to yourself? I'm designed to house his greatness. <sighs> wow. Things just changed in my life just like that. Yes, they did. You spoke something you don't even know. What about verse 30 and 31? He says, Saul, for, or Samuel, forgive me so I can worship the Lord. 
Oh, forgive me so I can take communion. Forgive me so I can serve this, or do that, do that. I can't, I, I can't give you that. Is it genuine repentance? I'll tell you what it says is it tells you that, that Samuel, he wanted Saul to travel. And it doesn't say that Samuel traveled with Saul, did it? Did you catch a little nuance of scripture? He followed behind. Do you get it? Is that what it said, followed behind? You remember it? I want to be sure because that's an important point. Go back with me, he says in verse 30, that I may worship the Lord your God. Samuel went back following Saul, verse 31. And Saul worshiped the Lord. That following isn't meaning following somebody that you want to emulate. See, what it is is I'm walking away from you. Hey, you're over there where the lightning hits kind of thing. See what I mean? That's his following. And so what I want to tell you is that's where in the New Testament, a lot of us know the passage, don't we? When there are those who who said that they, they worshiped God, that they were obedient to him. Do you remember the passage? Sure you do. It says, didn't we dance? Didn't we sing? Oh, didn't we cast out demons? In your name? Didn't we play the part? And he says, away from me. I never knew you, you doers of iniquity. Hello. So there can be people who are given false worship and they might be doing the feel good thing. It was really good at church today, wasn't it? Away from me. You're giving me this lip service. You're putting on a good show, but your hearts, they're far from me. What's God after? Integrity in every area of our life and absolute obedience. I don't care if you write nothing else down from today. Write absolute obedience down. You can deal with the questions on there. Have you ever seen God's power in your or other's life? Saul had it. Have you ever experienced discipline from God? If not, beg for it. Because he whom he loves, he disciplines, he chastises. You want God to put his, his, his gracious hand upon you. You want him to, to, to get, have you in the grip of grace. Plead for that if you don't have that. Does God punish people or nations today? Oh, some are quick to talk about it. Typhoons or hurricanes or fires or floods or... I'm going to tell you, he lets people make choices still, doesn't he? Here it is, false worship. Verse 32, you can tell I'm getting to the end. There's only a couple left. Verse 32, it says, Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Yeah, I was harassing God's people. Nothing bad ever happened to me. It must be okay. Hey, his grace is sufficient even for me. No worries made. Everything's blowing by. Lost my kingdom. Everybody got killed. But not me. I survived. Must be that the woe of death is past now. Glory, glory. No, no. 
There's still one who's going to be obedient. I'm going to tell you that God will look for somebody who's going to be obedient to his purposes. And he'll take it away from one. And he'll give that mantle to somebody else. And he'll say, okay, will you do this? Will you follow me? Will you serve me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Go for it. I want you to do it. Be obedient. Absolutely obedient to me. If you'll do this, this is what I'll do for you. He says, literally, the point there is that the king had no fear. He thought he'd gotten away with it. Do you know that's the problem with people who are perishing now without Jesus Christ? They think they're living their life. They think they're getting away with it. They think there's no judgment. They think there's no heaven. They think there's no hell. They think there's no God. But it's going to come crashing down on them someday. If that's you in the room, I don't want it to come crashing down on you one day. I don't want you to be surprised with the flames of hell licking at your, at your heels. I want you to know. I want you to live your life so as to give victory to God and to praise him and that other people will see that in you. I want you to have true joy and peace and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And verse 33, the consequence was that Agag still met it. He still got what God wanted, which was they would be utterly destroyed. Because that's what God does. And it's this guy, Samuel, who ends up being the obedient one. And it says he did it before the Lord. He wasn't carrying out wrath in his own heart, in his own what he wanted to do. He was doing it before the Lord. God, this is what you said to your servant, and he didn't do it. But you still want it done. I'm the guy to do it. Do you know why? Because judgment declares the righteousness of God. We need judgment to happen. We need that those who are doing evil will someday meet that. It's one of the hardest things to pray for when somebody who is wicked comes to you and says, pray for this. Because we're in this this position that says, well, gosh, I should pray for them because maybe this will cause a heart change in their life and they'll come to Jesus. And sometimes what it is is we better ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Because you might just be judging wickedness. Wow, there's a thought. Absolutely, because God, what's he going to do when you're in that? I said this crucible this morning, but when you're in that place, that maybe that's what will squeeze out the last bit of flesh and allow that the only way you know you're going to live is to break free. And there's this thing that God put in you, which says, I haven't turned to God yet. I've denied him. I've renounced him. But I know somebody who walks this way. I know somebody who believes. I know somebody who goes to church. I'm going to call them. Don't give them some soft sell. God loves everybody. He's not going to let this happen to you. No, say he's letting this happen to you because you've rejected him in love. Come back to him. That's what he wants. Can you imagine that, how that would do? That's when they're pierced to their heart. I'm going to pray for you, brother, but I'm telling you, this is a wake-up call from God. He wants you to get it right. He wants you to be wholehearted toward him, not just looking for him to be a sugar daddy. Wow. Last verse. Come on up, worship team. Verse 34, see it? Samuel went to Ramah. What I love about this is Samuel knew absolute righteousness and Samuel knew wickedness and he knew that lukewarm response that Saul had. And I love when it says that in verse uh, up in verse uh, 34, but before that, when it says to uh, Saul said that he was distressed in it's in verse uh, 10, 11. He says, I was just Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord. 
all night. Do you do that over your enemies? Do you do those, that over those who persecute you? Do you weep over those who wrongfully, um, uh, they, they speak things evil of you? Do you weep? Are you distressed overnight? And even in the end, when, when Samuel knows what, that God's going to do this, he's dealt with the evil Agag. That's done. But he knows what's, what, what awaits Saul. He knows that this, it says that God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. And he took, took this promise from him. He took that anointing from him. And he says, the Lord is regretted that he made Saul king. Folks, you and I should live our life with the fear of the Lord. It's what I'm preaching on next week. With the fear of the Lord that will never have God say that he regretted that he birthed you or me. That's not what he wants. He wants to say, look at my kids. <laughs> Aren't they amazing? Look at, did you see this? Doting on us like mama does over baby Ava or mama does over Liam or how we've done our own children, Nevaeh. Doting on them. Look at what this is. Oh, I got a YouTube video. You got to go there and see this. God's saying, I got, look at them. Let's pray. Proverbs 1, seven says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. Father, we pray that you're going to help us with being absolutely committed, absolutely dedicated, absolutely obedient to all things. Right down to the very finest, the, the, the dotting of the I to the crossing of the T. And we don't want it to be that we just get by, we squeak by, we do something with some partial obedience. We want it to be, God, that there's wholehearted surrender. And it's obvious to everybody around us. I love what the psalmist says, God, when he says, uh, who, can, who, can, who can fathom, who can grasp uh, your greatness, God? How amazing you are. It's, it's just too wonderful for me, too marvelous. It's hard for me to even comprehend it. But God, it just tells us that uh, you are sovereign. You are amazing, God. And, and I guess the idea that you chose us and you helped us to choose you, boy, that's the icing on the cake. So God, help us to learn from the lessons of King Saul and partial obedience. And God, help us to not be led by the voice of our friends or our peers or the world. Help us to be, hear the voice of God. You said of your church today, he who, he, uh, who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. We would say that's the Holy Spirit, God, not the Spirit of man, not the Spirit of this world. God, help us. We worship you, God, and we just declare your majesty. We love you, God. We believe you've given us so much, everything we need to be able to thrive in life. We bless you. We ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Show us any area of our life, God, where we're just being lukewarm or partially obedient. Receive our worship now as we come before you humbly, God, agreeing that you exalt us in Jesus' name. And everybody leapt to their feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got a good song here for us.